Our sermon today will be taken from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. This is the word of God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of God. Thanks, Lord. Um, all right, so today we're going to continue in our series through the book of Galatians. Usually we do uh, two sermons on the book of Galatians, then we take a break and do our other series called The Doctrine, Doctrines for the Heart. But I think we need to catch up on some of the Galatians so we can finish in December. So we're going to do three weeks uh, this time around. So in our passage today, we continue to see Paul's battle, God's battle, against what we called legalism. The book of Galatians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul a long time ago to a bunch of Christians in a region called Galatia. And the Christians in this time, as we've studied throughout this book, were struggling with legalism. Legalism is the idea that God's love and acceptance of us is dependent upon our obedience to his laws. Legalism is saying that God loves you, God accepts you, God cherishes you, only dependent based on how well you perform for him. Paul is saying that is not true. That is not what scripture teaches. This is not the way God is revealed in the Bible. The true God, Paul says, God says in this his word, does not initiate a relationship with people, with his people, based on the level of their obedience, but purely by his grace and mercy given to us on the cross. And as we continue to study Paul's ongoing battle with legalism to the Galatians back then, my prayer is that we also see how it's God's battle against legalism in our hearts here today. God's battle against legalism um, with us sitting here in this room today. So let's see in this passage um, why God's children should not live legalistically. Why, as Christians, we should not treat God as a legalistic God, okay? That's unbiblical, and it's hurtful to us. Also, it's hurtful to God and hurtful to others. Living legalistically hurts us, hurts others, and hurts God. That's what's revealed in our passage today. There's three things I want to point out in from today's passage. Legalism hurts God by idol worship. Second point, legalism hurts God. Uh, sorry, legalism hurts others by self-worship. 
And third point, the gospel protects us from both. Legalism hurts God by idol worship. Legalism hurts, God, hurts others by self-worship. And the gospel protects us from both. But first, let's pray before we enter into our sermon. Father God, we, um, we confess to you the, the temptation for us to treat you in a legalistic manner to treat you as if you only love us, you only care for us, you only cherish us, when we have completed or obeyed the legalistic demands of your law. The, uh, when we have obeyed you more, you love us more, and we have, when we have obeyed you less, you love us less. This is not the way you have been revealed in the gospel, and this is not the way you ask us to interact with you. And Lord, as we hear from your word, speak to us. It is living and active, it says, and work in our hearts to continue to battle this fight against legalism that many of us might not even know we, we are battling against. Not, my, a lot of us might not even know we're in. Reveal it to us, Father, and let us cherish and come to you um, as who you have revealed yourself to be to us, which is a loving Father who has given his Son for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, first point. Legalism hurts God by idol worship. In the sermon a few weeks ago, I can't remember how many weeks it was, but we talked about what idolatry is. What is idol worship? And we've talked about how idol worship is when people worship something else that is not God. Idol worship is worshiping a created thing that is not God. When we make something not God as if it's God, when we worship it, we bow down to it, that, the Bible says that we're worshiping an idol. And in the sermon a few weeks ago, we looked about how in the Old Testament, people would commit idolatry by literally making statues with the creativity of their own minds. They worship these non-living beings, man-made statues, as if they were some kind of living God. Statues that God says in the Old Testament are dead and powerless. They're stones and wood, but God's people fall again and again and again in treating these dead things as if they were God. God says, those things don't exist. They're non-beings. In our passage today, in verses 8 to 12, Paul interestingly equates legalism as a form of idol worship. And it's interesting. He says that when we live legalistically, we're actually worshiping a God that doesn't exist. Legalism hurts God just as much as worshiping a statue. Legalism hurts God just as much as idol worship. Let's see how. Look at verse 8. Paul says to these Galatian Christians, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You see the language of idolatry there, of false worship? Formerly, back in the day, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that idols by nature are not God. What is Paul saying here? Formerly, back then, in the past, before you received Christ, you were worshiping something that was not a God. Okay? So, before these Galatian Christians received Christ, they apparently were living in idolatry. They're participating in idol worship. Well, what kind of false God were these Galatians worshiping before they came to Christ? Well, a well-known religion back then, a pagan religion, is, is, is a pagan religion that worships the god of fertility. Okay, that, that's a well-known pagan religion uh, that was around in that region, in that era. The followers of this god of fertility would observe the patterns of the sun and the moon, and they'll come up with their own dates, 
and they would make a whole yearly calendar of how to worship this false god of fertility. And if you worship this god according to the calendar days and months and seasons and years, you'd be blessed with a large family, which back then, as it often is today, equated with prosperity. And now, after the Galatian Christians received Christ, what did Paul rebuke them for? Verse 8, for going back to their old life of being enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. What does Paul mean? Does he mean that these Galatian Christians are going back to worshiping this god of fertility? No. He's saying, you're worshiping another false god, not the god of fertility, but now you're worshiping the god of legalism. Verse 9 to 10, look at it with me. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves do you want to be once more? You observe, notice, days and months and seasons and years. They're going back to their old pattern of worshiping this false god of fertility as Christians. They're worshiping a false god, the god of legalism. If you remember the first few chapters, we talked about the circumcision group. The circumcision group is the group of people that came into this region of Galatia and started preaching legalism, right? We, we noticed that they told these Galatian Christians that if they want to become God's people, they have to obey the Old Testament laws. They have to follow the Jewish rituals, which included you can't eat certain meats, you, ca you can't drink certain drinks, and you have to follow the Old Testament Jewish calendar, which we notice here. He's saying if you want to be accepted by God, you have to do A, B, C, D, including observing the Old Testament Jewish calendar, days, months, seasons, and years. They're going back again to worshiping a false god that demands something of them in order to be accepted by it. They're once again enslaving themselves to a false god. This time, it's the false god of legalism. Paul, verse 20 says, is perplexed. He's confused. Why? Why after receiving Christ, why after knowing the true God, would you go back to enslave yourselves to a false god of legalism? Why would we, would we do that? Which is the question for us today. Is this not the struggle we all have? Are we not tempted often to worship this false god of legalism? This false god that says, I do this, you get that. Do we not sometimes expect more from God when we've been more obedient to him? I've done this, you should give me that. When we do that, we're worshiping a false god. This is not the god in the Bible. Do we not sometimes go to church or do spiritual things to earn his love and acceptance? I've done this, you give me that. This is not the God of the Bible. Do we not often fear and shy away from God because we feel like our sins has made us too dirty to approach him? Because I've done this, you won't give me that. This is the God of legalism that God's people often fall into. This is not the God described in the Bible. What Paul is saying here is pretty controversial. He's saying false worship doesn't only happen outside of church. False worship happens inside of church. Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians and us today, when Christians fall into legalism, when we treat God as somebody who dangles eternal salvation and we have to jump up to it with our own obedience, 
we are worshiping a false god. And it's just as bad as worshiping a false god of fertility. Neither of them exist. They're both non-beings. They're idols. They're not the god described in the Bible. Remember who Paul's, Paul's addressing here. He's not addressing non-believers. He's addressing Christians, right? Verse 8, remember verse 8 again. Formerly, back then, previously, when you did not know God, what does that imply? It implies that right now, they do know God. Right now, there are Christians. Paul is addressing Christians. The ones worshiping a false god here are not non-Christians. They're Christians. Not outside of the church, inside of the church. But is this not true? Is not the false god of legalism often the god preached about in churches? Where we obey it to get something from it. Is this not the God often sung to, prayed to, and obeyed? Paul is saying, why? Why enslave yourself to it? Why bow down to it? It doesn't exist. It's as dead and powerless, Paul says, as an idol, as a dead statue, because it's a God made up by the imaginations of men. It is not the God described in the Bible. Here's what Paul is saying. Worshiping a non-biblical God at an institution that claims to be a church is just as bad as worshiping a non-biblical God in an institution that doesn't claim to be a church. Worshiping a non-biblical false God in a church is just as bad as worshiping a non-biblical God outside of church. Just because we do it at quote-unquote church or do it in a way that uses a lot of words that sound biblical, it doesn't make it any better. At the end of the day, this God of legalism who demands performance for some sort of reward is a false God made up by the imaginations of men. A God that threatens us with abandonment when we fail. A God that demands obedience before it erases our guilt. A God that demands performance before it embraces us. A God that fatigues us with a never-ending sense of condemnation. A God that says, I can't use a sinner like you, away, and don't come back until you're better. This God doesn't exist. We've made it up. This sort of God, the Bible knows nothing of. And just because we're worshiping it at church doesn't make it any better. Are we not tired? Are we not beat down? Why are we enslaving ourselves to something that doesn't even exist? Why? I'm perplexed, Paul says. I'm confused. Why submit to a false god of legalism when the true God in Scripture has revealed himself to you? Why persist with the pride of not receiving forgiveness from God until we've earned it? How long will we carry that guilt? How long will we run away from God because we don't feel worthy? How long are we going to try and clean ourselves up before receiving him? How long? Legalism enslaves us, and it hurts God because it's idol worship. Second point, legalism not only hurts God, but it hurts others by self-worship. In the first point, we see our tendency as God's people, as Christians, to worship the God of legalism. I fall into that every day. I speak boldly because I'm speaking to myself. I, I, I struggle and worship this false god of legalism every day. And Paul here helps me, helps us, see the signs and symptoms 
of what to look for in order for us to see if we're falling into this false worship. In these next few verses, Paul tells us, you can identify, you can see signs in your life when you're falling into worshiping this false God of legalism, apart from this God of grace, which has been revealed in the Bible, if you see these things in your life. These are the symptoms. Pay attention to them. Just like an increasing soreness in my throat is a sign or symptom of me falling into sickness, here are the signs and symptoms of us falling into legalism. One, the first sign of legalism is when we start to pull people towards ourselves rather than push them towards Christ. The first symptom of legalism is when we start to pull people towards ourselves rather than push them towards Christ. The second symptom is when we start to pull people into becoming more like us rather than more like Christ. First, when we pull people towards ourselves rather than push them towards Christ, that's symptoms of falling into legalism. Second, when we pull people into becoming more like us rather than becoming more like Christ, that's another symptom of legalism. We see this in verses 12 to 20. Let's, let's first take a look at verse 17, okay? Symptom number one, verse 17. We tend to make people, we, we pull people towards ourselves rather than push them towards Christ. Verse 17. They, the legalistic circumcision group, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Have you ever felt the weird pull of wanting to be part of an exclusive group, mostly for the fact of them being exclusive? I mean, we probably don't even really like the people in it, but just because they're exclusive, we're like, oh, I wanna, I wanna be part of that. Have you ever, maybe not, I have, right? When you go to school and there's a group of popular kids and you're like, oh man, they're so exclusive. There's this weird pull of wanting to be part of them, right? Or um, country clubs do this. Right? They, they jack up their prices so high, and they kind of make themselves really exclusive um, because this exclusivity increases people's desirability to want to be part of them. Right? This is what Paul says the circumcision group is doing. They're shutting the Galatians out. They present themselves as being so exclusive. Unless you're able to obey A, B, C, and D, you can't be part of our group. They're shutting the Galatians out. They're becoming exclusive because they want to make much of themselves, because they want to feel like they're better. They're shutting people out to make much of themselves. Look at verse 17 again. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. They're being exclusive. They make much of themselves. They pull other towards themselves rather than push them towards Christ. They say, you must pay the very high fee of obedience in order to be accepted in this club. That's the first symptom. That's the first sign of when we're falling into legalism. We pull people towards ourselves rather than push them towards Christ. The second symptom. Also told that the Galatians, the, the, the circumcision group, also told the Galatians that in order to become accepted by God, you must not only want to be in our group with these impossible high standards, but you must also look like us. You must abandon your cultural norms and become more like us rather than become more like Christ. We see this in the first few chapters uh, in the book of Galatians as we've studied it. We've seen that, again, the circumcision group tells them, you have to do the Jewish Old Testament things. You have, you have to become more, more Jewish. You have to become more like us in order to be accepted into God's people, right? You have to eat what we eat. You have to drink what we drink. And now in verse 10, we see that you also have to obey the, the annual calendar that we obey, days, months, seasons, and years. Basically, they're saying to be more spiritual to become more like 
uh, to, be, to become accepted by God, you have to become more like me. That's the second symptom of legalism. The sign of legalism in our hearts can be detected when we notice ourselves beginning to pull people towards ourselves rather than push them towards Christ, symptom number one, and make people more like ourselves rather than make them more like Christ, symptom number two. So, do we see this in our own lives? I mean, it may be not as blatant and obvious as a circumcision group did it. But when we sacrifice sharing the gospel to others because it will affect our image. When we, when we avoid sharing the gospel to others because it's going to make us not look as good. When we, uh, we're acting legalistically here, right? We're pulling others towards ourselves. We're saying that um, our image is more important than others hearing the gospel, you see. You're saying that my reputation is more important than these people knowing God, just like the circumcision group, saying my image, it's all about my, I'm, I'm more interested in pulling people towards me and thinking highly about me rather than pushing them towards Christ. Do we not do this? I do this all the time. I struggle with it every day. Another symptom is, the second one, is, is when we only minister the gospel in the hearts of other people, and we say that the blessings of the gospel only come to people who look like us. Do we not often only minister the gospel to those who are in our same demographic? Are we not often tempted to avoid those who do not look like us? We're acting here a little bit like the legalistic circumcision group who says the blessing of the gospel is only for people who look like us, who are like us. We struggle with this every day. This is not how gospel-saturated Christians should live, Paul says. Take a brief look in Paul's life. Paul's life, revealed in this passage, is completely opposite to the legalistic group uh, people. Look at Paul's attitude in verses 14 to 15. It says in the beginning uh, that the, uh, look at verse, I'm not going to read it, but just take a look at it. It says that the Galatians received Paul really well in the beginning. They were, they received Paul with such a good manner. They're so thankful as if they're welcoming him as an angel of God, even as Christ himself. They loved Paul so much that they would even gouge their own eyes out for him. Now, if you know Paul's writings, when he gets excited, he starts to get into hyper, hyperbole. hyperbole. <laughs> That's the word. He starts, he starts to write, he gets excited and he starts to write in hyperbole. He, he doesn't mean that he's an angel. He doesn't mean that he's Jesus. He doesn't mean that he actually... People want to gouge people out for he's just saying you, he's just saying you love me so much when I first came to you and preached the gospel. But then in verse 16, after the circumcision group came and caught legalism, Paul continued to preach the gospel. But what did it cost him? Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They went from loving Paul to finding him as an enemy. Why? Because Paul preached the gospel to them. But that's okay with Paul. Because unlike the circumcision group, Paul wasn't so much concerned about pulling others to himself. He was more concerned about pushing others towards Christ. The circumcision group uses many flattering words and social manipulation to make much of themselves. Paul cares nothing of the sort. All he's concerned about is the gospel digging itself deeper in the hearts of men, even at the expense of his own reputation. Also look how Paul, unlike the circumcision group, adapts himself to other cultures around him in order to preach the gospel more effectively. 
Unlike the circumcision group who tells people to be more like them, unlike us when we struggle with legalism often and we pick and choose only to minister the gospel to those who might look like us, Paul's saying, brothers, look at verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. What is he saying here? Paul is saying that he has become like they are. Remember, Paul is a Jew. Like the circumcision group, he's a Jew. But in order to have the gospel reach the non-Jewish Galatians, he said, I have also become as you are. Paul has changed some of his preferences, some of the things that make him comfortable. He laid them down. He said, I've become as you are, although I don't look like you, although I don't talk like you, although I don't eat what you eat, drink what you drink. I have laid down my preferences and I've become like you are. I don't make you become like me. I don't limit the gospel only to those who look like me. It's for all who would receive. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 21. It's a long one, but I think it's, it's worth the read. This is Paul's attitude. For though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I become as one outside of the law, not being outside of the love, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. This is Paul's attitude. Become as I am, Paul says in verse 12. Become the kind of person who is willing to be all things to all men so that the gospel may reach as many people as possible. The gospel says no culture on earth has the right to say that their culture is the culture of God. No culture on earth has the right to say this is God's culture. No. God is not bound by that. Paul is saying be all things to all men within biblical bounds. So, Let's recap. The first point, we've seen how legalism hurts God because it's idol worship, because we're falling into a worship of the false God of legalism, the God that says, obey me, then I'll accept you. That God doesn't exist. That God might as well be a dead statue because we made it up with our own minds. And then we see the contrast between those who worship this false God and those who worship the true God of the Bible. Those who worship this false god, the circumcision legalistic group, lives differently than Paul, who worships the, god, the true god of the Bible. The first contrast is that those who worship the false god of legalism pulls others towards themselves. But those who worship the true god of the Bible pushes others towards Christ, even at their own expense. The second contrast, those worshiping the false god of legalism make others look more like themselves. That's what they're interested in. But those who worship the true God of the Bible push others to be more like Christ, humbly laying down their comforts and their preferences to reach as many people with the gospel as they can. Now, let's end at this last point. I want us to ask the question, why is there such a contrast between those who worship the false God of legalism and those who worship the true God of the Bible? Why does this stark contrast exist? The answer is found in the very nature of the true God of the Bible. Leads us to our third point. The gospel protects us from both. 
A famous theologian once said, we become more like whatever it is that we worship. We will become more like whatever it is that we're worshiping. Those who follow the false god of legalism will become more like that. Those who worship the true God of the Bible will become more like him. And because of the nature of the true God of the Bible shapes the life of its followers, there is one characteristic revealed in our passage today about this true God of the Bible that shapes the hearts of its people, a characteristic found in no other God offered in any other religion. What is this unique characteristic? Well, it's found in verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. This is one characteristic the God of the Bible has that no other God has. Now you've come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. You see, the true God of the Bible initiates a relationship with his people. This is very important. If we don't understand this one difference that sets the true God apart, we won't understand Christianity at all. Here's the difference. The true God of the Bible is unique from any other God because it pursues his people. It chases after his people. He relentlessly hunts down his people and makes them his own. See, the false God of legalism makes people earn their way to it through obedience. The true God of the Bible pursues his people through self-sacrifice. The false god of legalism, like the circumcision group, glorifies itself by shutting people out and demanding that they meet its standards in order to be accepted. You see, the true god of the Bible, as exemplified by Paul, glorifies himself, God glorifies himself, by pursuing his people and initiating a relationship with them even when they run away from him. But now that you have come to know God. Wait, wait, I meant, or rather, to be known by God. That's what Paul's saying. You didn't come to know God. God came to know you. Paul is saying, remember, Galatians, remember, Covenant City Church, you have a relationship with God in the first place, not because you're more spiritual than other people, not because we're better than other people, but because he was the one who had mercy and came to know you. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. He pursued you. He reached out to you. The true king of the universe initiated a relationship with you. When? How? When did God pursue us? Where is the proof of this relentless love? Well, Paul just got done explaining it a few verses before our passage today, in verses 4 to 5. This is when he pursued us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent, God gave, God initiated, God came to us, God pursued us, he chased us on the cross. Through Christ, he pursued us even down to the grave itself when he climbed on that cross. The Bible says, this is what makes the true God different than any other gods out there, which I guarantee you will have some sort of fragments of legalism to it, even if it's just a little. Other gods, even just a little, will say, do this, get that. 
don't do this, don't get that. The true Bible, the true God of the Bible says, you haven't done anything, I've done it all. That's why you get it. That's why it's yours, because I loved you first. See, the false God of legalism shuts you out. The true God of the Bible initiated to you. The false God of legalism makes you chase it with obedience. The true God of the Bible pursues you even in the midst of our disobedience. The false God of legalism will crush you when you fail. The true God of the Bible crushed himself for our failure. I'm perplexed, Paul said. I'm confused. I'm astounded. Why would we organize our lives around a false, non-existing, made-up God that shuts us out, that makes us chase it with obedience, and threatens us with eternal damnation when we fail? When we have a true and living God who has initiated us, who has chased us even unto the cross and has crushed himself for us. Why? Friends, this is why Paul was able to sacrifice his own reputation and popularity for the sake of others hearing the gospel, because his God did it for him. This is why Paul was able to lay down his preferences for the sake of others hearing and receiving the gospel, because his God did it for him. He has such a huge capacity for sacrifice because he worships a God who performed the ultimate sacrifice for him. Philippians 2, 6-8. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on too tightly, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We pursue others at the expense of our reputation. We lay down cultural preferences for the sake of others hearing the gospel because that's what our God did for us. So let's follow him, the true God of the Bible, who laid down his preferences, his comforts, his petty desires for personal fame and pursue others, preach the gospel to them because this is what he has done for us. So let's transition here as we today partake in communion after the sermon let us continue to battle against the temptation to worship this false god of legalism that doesn't exist and be reminded of the true god of grace the true god of mercy who loved you and initiated a relationship with you by dying on a cross how long will you wait how clean do you have to feel before receiving his love and mercy as we partake of this bread, let us be reminded of his body that was torn for us. As we partake in the wine, let it remind us of the blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Remember, Christian, as you eat the bread and drink the wine, who your true God is. He is a God that pursues, and so shall we be, as representatives of our true living God on this earth. Let's pray, and then we'll enter into our time of communion. Father, Lord, what a privilege, so amazing, so divine, so great, that we often feel intimidated just to receive it, that we often don't even want to feel worthy for it. And Lord, oftentimes we run from you. We feel unworthy to receive you. We 
are so scared to, to accept you in our lives and call ourselves a child of God because we have a list of things that we feel like you are unhappy about. Lord, let us believe what your word says about you, that you are not a God that demands obedience before he accepts us. You are a God who pursued us and died for us because we have been disobedient and that all of our sins have been paid for. And now we can live in a loving, obedient relationship with you, not to earn our own righteousness, not to earn our own salvation, but because you have freely given it all to us. Father, yes, freely it is to us, but as we partake in communion, let us remind ourselves that it has been costly to you, that you tore your flesh, you poured your blood, because you love us. You did so so that we sinners may have the right to call him Father, that we may have the right to become children of God, and nothing can separate us from that love, not even our own sin. We cannot lose something we did not earn. Thank you, God, for this amazing love, and remind us of this as we partake in the Lord's Supper. Peace, let me pray. Amen.